You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everyone to Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. Happy Thursday to you. Heading into the weekend. Get getting started a little early here. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Greg Jewett, also from Fan Rag Sports. And uh, Greg, welcome to the show once again. Thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, uh, glad, to, glad to have you on and have you on during the week for a change. Uh, so, a uh, little bit of a different flavor here. But uh, let's uh, head right into the news. Uh, Fan Rag's John Heyman is reported that David Price could be starting a rehab assignment within two weeks. So uh, that's uh, obviously terrific news for Price and means that he's, uh, you know, I think at worst at this point on uh, on the schedule uh, that, uh, you know, we expected him to be on at the start, uh, start of the season. Also, uh, Tigers general manager Al Avila told MLB Network Radio that uh, he expects that J.D. Martinez will be very close to a rehab assignment. So uh, Martinez, of course, coming back from the Liz Frank sprain. Uh, this surprised me a little bit, Greg. Uh, does the does this make you any more optimistic about Martinez? I think it makes it optimistic for the people that uh, took a chance for him right near the uh, the end of the drafting season. His price really was uh, falling like a lead rock. So if he can get on the field and show that that foot's healthy, that's going to be a boon for his fantasy owners. I think uh, I think people are expecting this to be a little bit more delayed than it's been. So the, the positive news can be good, but uh, these Liz Frank and foot injuries can be tricky. So it's cautiously optimistic. Yeah, generally, how do you approach the situation as a fantasy owner? Because I would say historically, in a situation like this, and I do owe Martinez in a couple of leagues uh, from the, the earlier drafts that I had, so I didn't get them cheap. Uh, but, but historically, I've wanted these guys to rush back because typically I did spend a good price on them. But you know, now I'm thinking you know, being you know, burned like last year when uh, A.J. Pollock was rushed back and you know, of course, that that didn't uh, end well, and he missed almost the entire season. Uh, would you rather see, uh, if you're a Martinez owner, rather see him actually wait another week or two beyond this, or um, you know, or is this really just unmitigated good news for him? Uh, I'll see to his doctors, but I was burned last year <laughs> by Michael Brantley, so um, I, I would like to be, I would like the team to be cautious with him as well because it's a marathon. You know, I know as fantasy owners, we get the itchy finger and people were, you know, already jumping the shark on uh, Miguel Cabrera because he didn't have a home run. At least he broke that today as a BVP hero. So he's off the schneid with a, with a home run there, breaking his eight-game home on the streak. So, you know, again, definitely cautiously uh, optimistic. I, I want the team to be smart. Um, what we're really going to look for is, may, is to make sure that there's not a setback early on when he does come back. Um, hopefully he'll... They'll, they'll probably DH him in the first few games before they get him on the field. So hopefully it'll be it'll still be a slow process, even though he's going to get back out there soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we don't really get a say in this, so this is really just more about expectations than than anything else. Uh, the Indians, a move that 
was surprising to me, I think surprising to probably a lot of observers. Lonnie Chisenhall activated today uh, as expected, but it was Tyler Naquin that went to Triple uh, A Columbus. So Abraham Almonte still with the team, and he is in fact starting in right field today with Chisenhall sliding over to center field. So I would think based on the early season patterns that Almonte would be the big winner here. You probably see him platoon with Austin Jackson, but with Almonte, I would guess getting most of the starts against right-handed pitching. Is that how you would expect mm-hmm. this to play out? And does it matter at all to you from a fantasy perspective? Um, I agree with you with that assessment. I'm kind of shocked after seeing Chisholm Hall's defensive metrics last year that they would put him in center field. Um, this can't give a warm fuzzy to the to the uh, Indian pitchers, but um, it doesn't surprise me totally. And as far as Almonte goes in, in deeper formats, and I did, uh, you know, Nando and I talked about Almonte a little bit before his AL only auction. So, you know, there's a little bit of pop and a little bit of speed in there. And with more at-bats, he could work himself into deep mixed league uh, radars. It's just going to remain to be seen. We want to see how he's used for the next week or so, but I could definitely see him being viable in the uh, the 15 team in deeper formats. Yep, and I have him in that that very kind of format. I've got him in the 15 team mixed um, tout wars, uh, the mixed auction, and mm-hmm. I like the fact that he's been very efficient with stolen bases when he's had the opportunities, and he may have a better opportunity now than he's had. Maybe since when he first came up with the Mariners, and that was pretty short-lived. So uh, I hold out some hope there for Almonte. Uh, Rich Hill, good news for him. He is expected to be back on Sunday against the Diamondbacks. Not good news, I would assume, for Alex Wood, who would just be one and done as Hill's replacement in the Dodgers rotation. Matt Harvey also expected to return on Sunday to face the Marlins in Miami. He left his last start with a hamstring injury, but apparently a mild injury, and Harvey should be back on the mound uh, on Sunday. Uh, Going cross town, Brett Gardner uh, got into a collision. Uh, Ricky Weeks uh, at first base. Uh, Gardner just plowed right into him uh, yesterday on Wednesday Weeks got off pretty easy, relatively speaking. Uh, he's got a stiff neck and shoulder, but Gardner, he left the game with a bruised jaw and strained neck. No concussion concussion tests as of yet, but uh, from what I've wet read, it doesn't sound like it's a definitive thing that they're completely ruling out him having a concussion test and a DL stint mm-hmm. could be possible for, uh, for Brett Gardner. Mm-hmm. So assuming that all is well for Gardner, and we probably won't know for at least a couple of days, how are you liking him this year as a steel source or just as a, a fantasy outfielder in general? Well, this is a tough one because, you know, he, another player whose value was really depressed uh, near the end there in drafts. Uh, people are starting to get on board with Ellsbury and then the news broke. He went to fifth. So that paved the way for Gardner to lead off. Um, and he was showing actually a decent bat to start the year. Uh, you never know how people respond to head injuries. So this, this casts a little shadow of doubt upon it. Um, so, so where he was, the value was terrific. It's just going to be a matter of seeing uh, how he comes back. I mean, in the long run, I really thought the Yankees were going to use either Gardner or Ellsbury as a trade piece. So um, this, this kind of delays a little bit of those plans. But we'll, we'll see how it all works out. Um, for now, it obviously clears uh, a lot of uh, at-bats for the next couple of days, Aaron Hicks. Um, and he, he has a good uh, matchup tonight at Yankee Stadium as well. Uh, yeah, no, uh, so that's 
good thing to to know for DFS purposes. And you know, like you, Greg, uh, I I hope Gardner is uh, all right because yeah, sometimes these uh, head injuries they yeah they can really uh, not uh, be a good, it can, you know not be a good result for Gardner. And uh, you know, you don't always know right away either. So we'll keep an eye on mm-hmm. that. Clay Buckholtz. Uh, had an MRI, which revealed a partial tear of the right flexor pronator mass. So he's going to be out for quite a while, and uh, he is going for a second opinion from Dr. James Andrews. So that's never news that you, you want to hear uh, for any player. Uh, the Phillies can go without a fifth starter until April 22nd. So that's a week from Saturday. So we've got some time to monitor that situation. A lot of, a lot of good pitching prospects there that are still in triple a Zach Eflin, who uh, has just recently returned from, from his own injury, Jake Thompson, Nick Pavetta, Ben Lively, Mark Capel. They all potentially could fill that slot. Uh, do you have a, a favorite there? I don't know that I have a favorite, but I'm curious to see if it might end up being Pavetta or Lively. Both of them are off to uh, a better start. So I just, I quickly went to the iron pigs, uh, page there just to see how just to see how those guys were starting out. Um, uh, each one had one had five. I think it was Pavetta had eight strikeouts his first outing, and Lively had five. Um, and Thompson and Eflin both struggled in their first outing. And I just don't think the Phillies are sold on uh, Appel being ready yet. So I'm thinking one of those two. Um, I think Lively was up a little bit last year, so he may get the first shot. So I'd be more curious about him as far as the other ones. I think down the road, Thompson could be something. Uh, Eflin just didn't show the strikeout capability last year. I don't know that that he's still quite ready or not. So I don't know where you are in that, but that's where I am. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that that's his his game, Eflin. I I think he is more Mm -hmm. of a pitch-to-contact guy. Uh, I'm I'm rooting very heavily for Nick Pavetta here because I did pick him up in the score sheet league, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I noted he had that good first start. He is more of a strikeout pitcher, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Most of what I've read seems to lean towards Eflin, but like I said, it's more than yeah. a week away. A lot can happen. Uh, I, I would certainly like to see Pavetta, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Giovanni Soto is what has gone to the disabled list with right elbow inflammation. Hector Rondone had an MRI on his right knee. Uh, no results on that yet. And uh, earlier in the week, we talked about James Caprillia maybe needing Tommy John surgery. And unfortunately, that is exactly the outcome for Caprillia. And so uh, no 2017 season for uh, Caprillia, who was thought maybe to be a candidate for a midseason call-up. So that's out for this mm-hmm. year and you know, potentially for next year as well. But uh, I would certainly hang on to him in, in dynasty formats. So, uh, well, we've uh, got a relatively short Thursday slate today. Um, and we've got some games going on right now. We've got uh, the Twins leading the Tigers 6-2. to two. We've got the uh, Pirates and the, the Red Sox. The uh, Pirates up 2-1 to one there. And the, the Cubs going into a one nothing lead against the Dodgers. But the, the remaining games, nothing really much to talk about in terms of weather. So good news there if you're considering any of your DFS options. And just one other lineup note. We already talked about the Indians outfield situation. Chisholm Hall in center. Abraham and Almonte in uh, right field. And the White Sox, uh, Todd Frazier is out of the lineup again with uh, the flu. So we've got Matt Davidson at third base. 
So uh, him uh, against the righty Josh Tomlin, maybe a little home run potential there. Interesting matchup there. But uh, anyway, Greg, uh, that's uh, pretty much a wrap for the news for now. We'll check in and see if there's uh, anything new uh, after the break. But when we come back, we're going to take a look at the pitching results from Wednesday's action. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to Fan Fans Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me for the hour is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag Sports. And as I said before the break, we're going to take a look back at some of the more notable pitching performances from Wednesday. But before we do, just a quick word about RotoExperts.com. The RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package is your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with our in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a roto scientist. They help you set ideal ideal lineups every week. And this season, you get to build a fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, which is powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring way up to the top of your league standings. Enter promo code FREERADIO, again, that's one word, FREERADIO, at the checkout for a special discount. So let's uh, break down the stats from uh, some pitching performances from Wednesday. And uh, we could just as easily call this uh, segment uh, shutouts where you least expect them. A lot of pitchers going six innings or more without allowing uh, a run, which is uh, pretty amazing. But it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't Max Scherzer. It wasn't necessarily the pitchers you expected to. But before we get to those, uh, I, I'd like to kick it off by talking about Jordan Montgomery because this is his major league debut. I, it's probably exaggeration to say it was highly anticipated, but I think there was a lot of curiosity about this since he didn't even win the fifth starters job for the Yankees until, uh, you know, about a week into the season. But uh, here's the line, four and two thirds innings, five hits, three runs, but only two earned two walks, but seven strikeouts at seven K's and four and two thirds against the Rays. It's a lot going on there in that line, Greg, what do you make of it? Um, I- I'm upset because I didn't get to watch that. Uh, but, Bernie Pleskoff, who also writes with us at FanRag, was pretty high in him with his scouting report in the preseason, so that kind of uh, raised the intrigue with myself. Um, and, and it's also worth noting that the, the Rays are prone to uh, strikeouts. They're much less effective versus uh, left-handed pitching this year than they were last year with Forsyth and a few other people out of the lineup. So um, you take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but um, the, the seven strikeouts have to stand out in your mind and the in, not even making five innings of work, but the the pitch count and whatever they the Yankees uh, took them out of there. But uh, in a game that they eventually came back to one, so I think there's some strikeout potential in his arm there. Um, when when Birdie was throwing around like Chris Sale and other people when he was talking about his scouting report, just you know due to the left handedness and 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 things in his arsenal, it, it kind of makes you makes you makes you take notice of him. I don't know how you feel about him. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm a little tepid. Uh, I, I, I'm interested. I'm intrigued, but I haven't, you know, I haven't added him in any leagues. 
And the number mm-hmm. that stuck out for you is the one for me, the seven strikeouts with that Rays matchup. Uh, you take that out of the equation and, and recognize that most pitchers, particularly lefties, are going to get that strikeout bump against the Rays. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a merely okay line. A couple of walks and a couple of earned runs and four two-thirds. It's, you know, it's okay. So for a first start, um, I would say probably more encouraging than not. And I, and I would say I'm more interested in Montgomery than I would be even in another uh, rookie lefty, Amir Garrett, who has you know, put up much more impressive numbers so far. And we'll talk about him uh, a little later on in this segment. So I guess rather than... Mm-hmm. Uh, be a spoiler. I'll just toss that out there. So, and I'm not particularly down on Garrett either. So, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by Montgomery, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm all in. Now, on the other side, uh, up against the Yankees was Blake Snell, also four and two thirds, just two hits, two runs, but neither was an earned run. Also, two walks, but no strikeouts for Blake Snell, and that gives him a six percent swing swinging strike rate on the season across those two starts. And you figure you, you knew you're going to get some walks with Snell. That's pretty much mm-hmm. a given until he demonstrates otherwise. But you figure that the, the reward for putting up with that is the strikeouts and a big goose egg here against the Yankees. So what do you do with Blake Snell? And let, let me, let me actually give that a little bit of context because his control is really at this point, so unreliable I feel like you can only start Snell against the most aggressive lineups, you know, like the Rangers, yeah. uh, the Brewers, the Rays, um, or I'm sorry, not the Rays, he pitches for the Rays, but they are one of the most aggressive lineups. But yeah, teams like the the, uh, the Rangers and the Brewers, um, I mean, is he worth it? Um, I have zero shares of Blake Snell, and I know there's a lot of helium and people were hyped about him in the preseason due to the strikeout upside that you were hinting at, but what what made me a little worried was the the high pitch counts, the whip. Um, you know, when he's walking a lot of these people, he's getting, you know, he, he's not efficient, which points right to the four and two-thirds innings yesterday in his second start of the year. Um, you know, his ERA is sitting at 3.18, but that 5.19 FIP stands out to me, and it just points that there, there could be some more trouble. When you put traffic on the bases, you get yourself into trouble, no matter how great of a strikeout pitcher you are. And, you know, Danny Salazar can kind of speak to that and some other people. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not – again, I don't think he's available in any league that I'm in, but I have no shares in him. So he wasn't somebody I was targeting in the in the later rounds this year in drafts. Yeah, it, it's really a conundrum to me. And I, I think that this is something I'm going to research a little more and, and blog about probably, you know, within the next few days. Because not only is there the payoff of the strikeouts with Snell – He's a fly ball pitcher who gets to pitch at the trop at home. Granted, the other parks in the division are very tough. But even when he goes away from the trop, Snell is almost unique or was unique last year among major league pitchers in terms of not letting opposing hitters barrel the ball against him. So mm-hmm. it just seems like if he's just got this one thing that he's got to improve. And if he improves it even just a little bit and he can – put fewer runners on the bases and be a little bit more efficient. He could, he could be close to must start, but you know, it's, it's just so close. And yet if he doesn't cross that distance, I feel like you can almost never use him. So I think Snell is worth, worth the stash, but you have to have a lot mm-hmm. of patience. And at some point, if he doesn't improve the walk rate, then I think you do have to clear the spot, but 
I would give him, I, I would say, in a, in a redraft league, at least a month. Do you think that's mm-hmm. too long or not long enough? No, I, I think you kind of got to slow roast him and just see what happens. Um, you, you can bench him when you see the matchups are rough. Um, I almost think he's kind of somebody that might take off in the second half, get some confidence, and find a groove with that curveball. And then he, he hits a stride a little bit that could point to, I, I think next year would be the better year to own him. But I, I do think that there's a chance he could pay off later in the year. Like I said, I was just nervous about this, the beginning of this year. He's almost somebody where it feels like they're going to get impatient, he gets dropped, and he could cash in for you in the second half. Yeah, that's that's what I fear if, if I were the one to drop him. Uh, well, let's get mm-hmm. to those pitchers with the great uh, shutout performances. Not you know complete game shutouts, but still deep into the game with the shutout. And I'm just going to toss them all here at once, Greg, and kind of deal with them as a lump sum. Mike Leak went seven innings, no runs, four hits, no walks. And again, not a big shock for Leak, who's a good control pitcher, but seven strikeouts uh, at the Nationals. So great line for Leak all the way around. Brandon McCarthy, six scoreless, four hits, three walks, four Ks at the Cubs. So very tough matchup, and McCarthy pretty much aced it. Andrew Triggs, six uh, shutout innings, four hits, just one walk, just three Ks. Uh, at the Royals, but even though he got just the three strikeouts, he did get 11 swings and misses. So that's, again, a very aggressive lineup, one maybe you could trust Blake Snell against, uh, but there's not going to be a lot of called strikes there for Andrew Triggs or anybody mm-hmm. else who faces the uh, faces the Royals. Chase Anderson went seven scoreless, three hits, two walks, seven Ks at the Blue Jays, who have been struggling. Derek Holland, six scoreless, one hit, uh, four walks, though, four Ks at the Indians. So, Leak, McCarthy, Triggs, Anderson, Holland, all with extended uh, scoreless uh, outings. Which of these means something to you? Um, I'm happy you asked, Al, because in the uh, the waiver wire phone <laughs> that went live today, uh, you know, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago about Mike Leak, and he was like vanilla, and he was working with his pitch repertoire, but there was really nothing exciting, you know, it felt like about him. But um, not only are the seven strikeouts impressive to me, that Nationals lineup, when you looked at uh, how the hitters had done against him, that was a lineup that really hit Leak around from top to bottom. Um, Six batters all had 300 or better batting averages against him going into that game. So, So maybe the repertoire change or how he's working things, uh, suggest that Lee could be a little better than we thought this year. It's not like we need him to be a dominant pitcher, but you know, he usually is, is puts up solid, solid innings of work. And even with a slight, I don't think there's a huge strikeout bump in him. But with the innings that he throws, even if he improves his percent, strikeout percentage uh, marginally, that's going to result in a few more strikeouts, which means more value. Um, I don't know. Is it is it crazy to to say there's like a, a Percello season lying in him, or am I completely off kilter on something like that? I don't. It feels like no, I don't think it's off kilter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost. You know. Like, I, I go ahead, Al. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry because I felt like I cut you off there, and um, you know, I hadn't thought of that comparison. I think if Leak is going to break out, take a, a big step forward. I think Porcello is a great comp because the way he's probably going to do it is with just a little elevation to the strikeout rate 
and really great control. And that's exactly what we've seen through two starts. And in terms of the, the specifics of the changes that he's made to the repertoire, um, so far he's throwing his cutter about twice as often as he did last season, actually a little bit more than, or actually a little bit less than double. And he's cut back his sinker usage, which has really been his, his bread and butter over his career. So with that exchange, you would expect probably more strikeouts. I would think also fewer ground balls. And that might not be great for Lee because it's not as if he's been terrific at avoiding home runs despite being a sinker baller. So I'm, you know, and, and that too in a way sounds a little bit like, like Rick Porcello. So yeah, um, but, but that's that, an interesting that apples and oranges though. Yeah. Because less sinkers, that's what he gave up his highest bat up with last year. So I think he's trading a little bit of contact for hoping to swing and miss and the cutter can neutralize lefties. So I think he's very interesting. Uh, I added him in an 18-team. He was still out there in an 18-team league, and I grabbed him because it's a quality start league. And after I, I started him, I looked at the numbers from the Nationals. I was like, oh, my God, what did I do? And then he ended up having a great start for us. So um, I, I think he's going to be somebody that you might be able to get early, and it's not going to cause any ripples in the fantasy community, but he could be a really solid performer through the year. And that's something that you need as, as your starter in fantasy. So, you know, again, Mike, Mike Leake doesn't drive the excitement meter, but I think he's an interesting ad right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like those guys sometimes, the ones who go a little bit under the radar and, you know, like a Porcello can help you in, in ways that are a little unconventional. I, I'll admit I'm remaining skeptical on Leake, but when you put him in the oh, Porcello light, uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, I think that's that's an achievable uh, upside for him. So I want to talk a little bit more about this group, and we got a couple of others. I mentioned Amir Garrett. You mentioned Danny Salazar. We'll talk about them after the break. We've got some bullpen situations that are pretty interesting right now and a few uh, uh, hitter standout performances to talk about as well. So we'll cover all that when we come right back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. With me today is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag Sports. And uh, as promised before the break, we've got a few more players uh, with stand-up performances from Wednesday that we'll talk about, some bullpen situations to break down. But just a quick look in at the uh, current action. Still a 2-1 game, Pirates over Red Sox there, and Cubs still up one nothing over the Dodgers. A little bit of a... Uh, Lefty pitchers duel there with Brett Anderson and Hunjin Ryu, but the Twins have completely broken open against the Tigers. And Greg mentioned that Miguel Cabrera finally went yard in that contest. But we've got uh, three Twins: Robbie Grossman, Max Kepler, and Miguel Sano. They've all left the yard, and Kepler's having a heck of a game. He's also had a double. He's uh, two for three with those two extra base hits uh, with three RBI and a walk. So Twins. Uh, Early exit there for uh, Jordan Zimmerman, who is unusually wild in his second start of the year. So back to yesterday, back to the past rather than the future. Uh, we had talked about five pitchers who went at least six innings without allowing uh, an earned run. Yesterday, we talked quite a bit about Mike Leake. I think Andrew Triggs out of this group, he's the one actually that I, I think could be legit. And you, you made some really good points about leak. And, and I think I need to give him maybe a little bit more credit, but Triggs I think would be easy to overlook because he hasn't been getting the strikeouts, but the first, the first start mm -hmm. was against the angels and they just don't strike out a whole lot. 
And the, the Royals are not as strikeout averse as they used to be. But as I mentioned before the break, they're very aggressive. So particularly if you're, uh, you know, not working outside the zone a lot, I, I think you could not get a high strikeout total against them. But, you know, overall, I think Triggs has done a nice job getting ground balls and uh, pitching with, with uh, good control, particularly in this start. So how do you like uh, Triggs at this point? Do you like him better after these first two starts, Greg? Uh, I was intrigued by him in the preseason. Um, I always seemed to be like one one round away. Somebody would pluck him right before I could get him in the uh, draft champions ones I was in because um, he was definitely on the uh, definitely on the radar. He had a, he he debuted well last year in relief, and then when I saw he was going to make the rotation, he was of interest because you've got the home ballpark intrigue. You know, Oakland's park helps cushion uh, pitchers and, and gives them a little protection. And there was definitely interest there. You know, you would like to see a little bit more in the strikeouts, but, you know, when you're in a deeper league and you've got a, a guy putting up quality starts and he's he's uh, minimizing hard contact, then he's definitely somebody that, that gets your interest. Um, and, and if I could do a little segue, I, I know you had some skepticism about Salazar's start um, this week yep. after reading your start and sit column. So how do you feel about his 11-2 to strikeout-to-walk ratio he's just such a wild card. I mean, he he seems like a, a, a better version of Michael Pineda, but is it, is it a, is it a relative comp to think that sometimes Salazar just loses the strike zone, which makes him volatile or is he someone that people can trust going forward? I can't trust him. And I do apologize to anybody who sat him based on my recommendation. And I, I, I'm not going to abandon my process. I mean, I think, and I acknowledged in the, the article that this was a pretty favorable matchup for Salazar, but I just mm-hmm. got to a point where I was not able to trust him. I'm not able to trust him regardless of the matchup. So, yeah, he got through this time, and the key number there is, is I think you alluded to, Greg, just two walks over six innings. The strikeouts you know mm-hmm. you're going to get with Salazar pretty much every time out. 11 in six innings is is extreme and extremely good, but it's just a question of how many how many batters is he going to walk and how much hard contact is there going to be when he allows contact at all? And I didn't think he'd be this good with this particular matchup, but I still don't trust him for anything more difficult, which is going to be, you know, most of the rest of his schedule. So no, I'm, I'm as a result of this, I'm not one iota more trustful of, of Salazar, just like Pineda. Uh, you know, you, you can get a good start here and there, but we need to see some consistency. So, uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Although I wasn't yep. trying Got to throw w- water on your article. I, I agreed with you. It's just, <laughs> he's, just so, he's just so up and down. I owned him in a league last year, and I just never knew what was going to happen when he was on the mound. There was just no way of knowing. Yeah, look, we're, we're going to be wrong, and it's a question of why you're wrong. And, you know, a week or two, probably not a week, but two weeks from now, if looking back, we're, we're looking back on a, a string of dominant, brilliant Danny Salazar starts, then – you know, then I, I was wrong, but I think, you know, this, uh, <laughs> this could happen, you know, to anybody. Um, but I think especially to Danny Salazar, uh, Amir Garrett has been consistent. Granted, we have an N of two starts, but two very good starts. Uh, Garrett went six innings in this one, two uh, runs allowed, no walks and five strikeouts against the pirates. And this is a lefty starter on a very righty heavy lineup. So you could take all kinds of encouragement from this. 
And yet with Garrett too, even though this is just a second start, I need to see quite a bit more because he really broke out in double A last year. But when he got promoted, the control that we've seen from him so far in two major league starts, we didn't see a triple A and the strikeouts weren't really there either. So I'm going to be skeptical for a little while longer on Amir Garrett. How, how are you feeling about him? Yeah, I mean, he might be at the apex of his value right now for fantasy. We'll, we'll see. I mean, people can surprise us. And, you know, we, we talked about the narrative of him being a former basketball player. So he hasn't thrown as much, which could lean towards the control getting away at times if his motion's not repeatable. It's going to be very interesting. He's, he's a great athlete. So it's just going to be a matter of if mm-hmm. that athleticism will translate towards uh, repeating all those moving parts that he needs to control the ball. Um, we did get a uh, interesting uh, question from one of the folks on Twitter, and it said, "In a points keeper league, would you rather have Amir Garrett or Jonathan Gray?" Awesome segue, by the way. Um, I would much rather have Gray, and I think I just kind of uh, telegraphed that because to me, Gray is you know pretty much proven. Proven that you could trust him at cores. Uh, you know, proven that not must start, but you could start him most weeks. So I'll, I'll take Gray. Yeah, well, I was high on Gray in the preseason, and I I just think, you know, just when you're looking at prospect status, that Gray has a much higher ceiling um, down the road than uh, Garrett does overall. I mean, I think Garrett could be an innings eater that almost a left-handed Mike Leak that we were were just talking about. I I think that's Garrett's, you know, where he's going to end up in fantasy, whereas Jonathan Gray – you know, he already has a 200 strikeout season under his belt. So I know there might be some bumps in the road with Jonathan Gray, but I, I'd rather have his upside in that comparison. All right. Well, uh, at De- uh, Darth Danny, it's unanimous. So go get John Gray. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's uh, move on to some hitters. In fact, let's uh, just bunch this trio together. All three, and, I, and I'll tell you the results before I tell you the names, because the names are probably about as disparate as you can get. Uh, All three went two for three on Wednesday, and all three had at least one home run. Uh, One of them actually had two home runs. Now, the players in question, one, not a big surprise, Aaron Judge, off to a great start, hit his third home run of the season against the Rays, is now batting three oh eight. The one who hit two home runs is Trey Mancini, and that was his third straight start for the Orioles, the second start in a row in left field. And the third one, I'm going to, assume nobody would guess this is Andrew Romine who went two for three with a grand slam against the twins and in uh, much more limited play, he's batting 545 this year. Uh, Romine is starting in place of Ian Kinsler today, just a, uh, a random, but just a normal day off for, for Kinsler. Uh, but I do think there's some playing time possibility for Romine in center field and his exit velocity is up dramatically so far in this limited sample this year. So, uh, what's your take on, on those three? Obviously, you know, very different league de- league depths that we're talking about, sort of shallow, deep, deeper, deepest. <laughs> but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. how you feel about Judge Mancini and Romine? Well, I, I was trying to work uh, Judge into the waiver article, but in, in CBS leagues, he's 76% owned, and we're trying to keep guys right around the 50% threshold. So um, we, we couldn't get, I couldn't get him into the article just because of that factor, but um, the the shortened swing and the left leg kick seems to have translated well with him. I mean, he doesn't, he's a big guy. He doesn't need to have a lot of uh, things happening to generate power. 
So the the increased contact and the, the reduced strikeouts is something to definitely be in tune with. I still see him more of, uh, I mean, obvious, the obvious comp everyone's doing is Giancarlo Stanton. Um, I would think it averaged more towards the 250 range is uh, much more reasonable when you're thinking about the whole season, but he's just on a hot streak right now. But I think the power is legit, um, and I, I think the Yankees were smart to let him go in that spot. So it's going to be fun to watch, and that ballpark's made for his swing. And Mancini, you want to talk about a wild card in the, in the last ten games? In his last ten games with the Orioles, five home runs and twenty nine plate appearances. Yeah, there's power there, no doubt. And now maybe there's some some opportunity, which is which is nice because we've been waiting, I think, a couple of years on on Mancini and Romine. Anything there? I mean, he's no, you know, never been more of a, a light hitting utility player, but he is whacking the ball in the early going here, and and I do think that there is some opportunity for him. Well, there is, and especially, I mean, like today he's hitting leadoff in place of Kinsler, but, you know, in, in the deeper leagues, you're looking for guys with, with multiple positional eligibility that have a pathway to playing time. So he might be able to work his way into the positive side of the platoon and center field, as you alluded to, um, and with the increased uh, exit velocities, you know, that's something that's nice to track early in the year um, and those hard contact rates. So if there's a little something percolating there with Romine, you never know when a guy's going to hit his stride. Uh, you could catch some lightning in the bottle this year. You know, obviously of the three, um, I want to wait and see a little on him. I mean, Mancini, you're just playing him for power. I think there's obviously batting average risk there. Um, so all three of them have their warts, but it's just a, a matter of what your team needs. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, that's right. I mean, we're talking, you know, I think very deep leagues where you'd speculate. Uh, we've got some bullpen situations. There's no way we're going to hit these uh, all before our break. So quickly, Sungwon Oh, uh, for the first time this year, had a scoreless inning, but it was in a non-safe, non-safe situation against the Nationals. Uh, do you think that O oh is all right, or uh, is it time to start kind of scoping out the the pecking order in the Cardinals' bullpen? I think he'll be okay, and what helps him is that Rosenthal, who had a great debut the other day with three strikeouts, uh, had a rough outing in that same game. So uh, I don't think he's in threat yet. I think he's got a little more leash than uh, other people that are in uh, dire straits. Yeah. And, of course, whenever I hear somebody say I want to say, like, Mark Knopfler, but probably not everybody is going to get that joke. (laughs) But... uh... (laughs) (laughs) On that very uh, sour note, uh, we'll head into break, come back, talk some more bullpens, and then take another look in at today's action, including a look ahead to some of the later games. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host, and with me also from FanRag Sports, Mr. Greg Jewett. And Greg, uh, you do the bullpen piece every week for FanRag. Is that correct? That's a, that's a weekly uh, that's a weekly piece. Yeah, that's going to be on Tuesdays at the site. And I know, and and our own Al here does uh, bullpen segments for FanGraphs, so. Yeah, that's right. So we got so we got, exactly meeting of the bullpen minds. That's what we will call this segment. Uh, and we talked a little bit before the break about Sung Wan Oh, and uh, I'll, I'll just tack on to that because I did write about him for the the FanGraphs uh, bullpen report last night, and his velocity is back up. So even though uh, the overall results 
have not been great. Uh, I'm encouraged there, and, and yeah, I'm, I wouldn't worry about where Trevor Rosenthal or um, you know anybody else in that uh, uh, Cardinals bullpen might be uh, pitching. Uh, you know whether it's the eighth or the seventh, I, I think O's going to be just fine. Um, uh, I think really a much more controversial, interesting situation is the Rangers bullpen because, of course, you've had Sam Dyson with multiple implosions. You have Matt Bush, who everybody was presuming was his, going to be his replacement, who's out uh, until uh, uh, later on the weekend. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his shoulder health is something that is, you know, currently going to be in question. So it really came mm-hmm. down last night to Tony Barnett and um, Jose Leclerc. And Leclerc came in in the, the uh, eighth inning, the bottom of the eighth, and got Mike Trout to swing and miss on three straight piss pitches. And then he got uh, Albert Pujols on one pitch. Uh, so that was a nice uh, start for Leclerc. So then he, uh, with the Rangers tacking on in the top of the ninth, he came back out, got the five-out save. So no show for uh, Tony Barnett. But it, it looked like just from the usage pattern there that if Dyson doesn't come back, if Bush isn't able to come back, uh, I would think Barnett might be the Rangers' closer. How do you see this? Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, um, the beat writer from the Rangers today uh, speculated that Matt Bush could end up on the 10-day DL once he needs to team up in uh, Seattle today. So um, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Uh, I don't know that I want to get too involved and spend my fob money uh, chasing the next Rangers save. I don't know how you feel on that, but I almost feel like you're going to be burning paper to all of this sorts of self-out, especially – with the weekend approaching, if most, you know, a lot of leagues run their waivers on Friday or Saturday night, it's going to be really hard to justify spending 10% of your budget on Tony Barnett or Leclerc or whoever, or, or whoever you think is, is going to be the next uh, saves guy in Texas. So um, it was set up with Barnett to come into the ninth inning because I stayed up just to see that here on the East coast. I wanted to see, how that situation played out. So obviously he was warming up to come in. And then when uh, Odor knocked in those two runs, um, he sat back down and just let Leclerc finish it out, which allowed him to get his, get the save with the uh, 1.2 innings of work. But yeah, I, 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 I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait this one out. Although Barnett did have closing experience over in Japan. Mm-hmm. Well, what, how I dealt with this uh, in a deep league, that's a, it's a uh, head-to-head points league with two RP slots and because it's a deep league, mm-hmm. I did have Jemar Gomez in one of them. And so I went out and I made a fire bid, which which was a winning bid on uh, on Leclerc, knowing that, as you pointed out, Greg, that the, the pattern last night suggested, and, and pretty much Jeff Bannister confirmed it after the game, that his intention was to use Barnett as the closer in that situation. But, um, you know, I just... Overall, I like Leclerc better for the long term, so mm-hmm. I went ahead and made a pretty aggressive bid on him looking at the at the long run. I think, okay, Leclerc's probably not going to pick up any more saves for a while, but I don't really trust Dyson. Um, you know, Maybe Bush does get healthy and he winds up in there, but I just think at some point this season, Leclerc, if he can avoid the walks, he's going to be potentially elite, and I wanted to make sure in a deep, deep league mm-hmm. that I had the first crack at him. In the yep, shower, I, 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 like I think, because, yeah. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like that because what, from what I watched of him last night, uh, the stuff was pretty good. I mean, he had a good run on the fastball, uh, good movement on the pitches, and he went right after Mike Trout. I mean, you, you would think sometimes the reliever is going to come in and see Mike Trout up there uh, with Calhoun on second base and kind of work around him or see what's going to happen. Uh, Leclerc went right after him. I mean, thing, you know, three pitches in a row, and that stood out in my mind, just the, the tenacity that he went after such an established hitter with. So, you know, it. I, I, I'm going to try to avoid foul, but in a situation where I needed it, I, I like your call there of, of putting a, probably a cheaper bid on Leclerc because people are probably going to flock to Barnett more and, and see what happens there. Yeah, well, in that particular league, actually, somebody did get Barnett for just a, for $1, uh, which I, I have to admit I was very surprised by. But, wow. Um, yeah, 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 but I imagine in a lot of leagues, particularly maybe the, the shallower ones, um, you know, Barnett would have drawn more of a more of a bid. Uh, one more situation, just to take a look at uh, the Marlins. Yesterday, we uh, they went into the eighth with a, a one run lead, and Junichi Tozawa came in and uh, gave it up. And he's really being used as sort of a lefty specialist because the Marlins don't have a lefty in the bullpen, and he has pretty even handed uh, splits. Uh, but then Ramos came in in the ninth of the tie tie game and gave up the winning run. And I do think that Ramos is one of the more vulnerable closers, both because of the number of options that Don, Mag- Don Mattingly has there, but also because they just don't really trust him to be consistent, even though mm-hmm. he's not had a problem with you know blowing a lot of saves in the past, but the, the control is not really his strong suit. So uh, am I overreacting there, or uh, do you think that Ramos could lose the job you know, within the next month, month and a half or so? Uh, I think Ramos is always a bumpy ride. So <clears throat> due to his roller coaster past, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think you have something to figure on there. Would, I, I did read what you were writing about there. So and, and due to Bearclaw having some of the same warts as Ramos, you think Ziegler would be the next in line? I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I w- other than in a pretty deep league, I wouldn't be looking to speculate, but where I would speculate, I, I would target Ziegler. It's hard to mm-hmm. hard to tell though with the usage makes- patterns. Yes, yeah. So. The 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 lead up guys have been very hard to read, but yeah, that that'll be something that the next couple of weeks I think a lot of people are going to be focusing on with that bullpen. Yeah, yeah. So situation to watch there. But uh, speaking of watching, we have been keeping an eye on the games today. Uh, not a, a whole lot of changes there since our last check-in, but the Rangers and the Angels have gotten underway, and Carlos Gomez got it started off with a leadoff solo homer, and that's the second game in a row that Gogo has left the yard. So after a pretty slow start, it looks like uh, Carlos Gomez might be starting to get on track. But uh, also in that lineup, Elvis Andrews, who we've never looked at as a power source, he has back-to-back games with home runs coming into this contest, so no home run yet in this game for Elvis Andrews. But uh, is there upside there for a guy who has put up very similar numbers pretty much every year since he was a rookie? Uh, you know, but he came, he came up when he was 20. So, I mean, is there any, any upside with Elvis Andrews, you think? I, I think, I don't want to say crazy upside, but I think he can get the double-digit home runs possibly just based on his start. Uh, it, it's a, obviously a beyond a small sample size, but he's pulling the ball 71% of the time this year with a 39.3 hard contact rate, which are 
numbers that are nowhere near in line with anything he's done in the past. So I don't know if he's just starting to pull heavy or pitchers are working him inside, but he seems to be very committed. And the home run he hit yesterday was like a frozen rope. So um, there's something there. I mean, it feels like every year we overlook Elvis Andrews and then all of a sudden he still finds a way to provide value for fantasy. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything crazy as far as power, but I could see him reaching double digits. I'm, I'm comfortable saying he could get there this year. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Well, I'd hope to take a little bit more of a detailed look at uh, the slate going on today, but we're just about out of time here, Greg. So um, just one quick note, Eduardo Rodriguez against that righty-heavy Pirates lineup we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got uh, eight strikeouts in five and a third. So um, a short outing for Rodriguez, but two earned runs allowed, two runs allowed, period. Eight strikeouts, four walks, though. So um, I would say actually in some ways an encouraging outing for, uh, for Rodriguez. Do you think he's uh, at this point, now that that's his final line, do you think he's, he's good to go uh, you know, pretty much against any opponent? Um, I think the, man, the matchups will, will help determine that. But I, I, I'm another player I'm consciously optimistic about. I'd like to be a little more efficient with the walks, but – you know, there's upside in that arm, and the Red Sox are going to need him to, to pitch innings this year as I watch Vasquez throw a ball in the left field and they scored a run on a stolen base attempt. But, you know, yeah, definitely uh, there's a chance for uh, Rodriguez to, to do well moving forward, especially if he can neutralize the right-handed batters as he, as he did in the second half last year. Yeah, he did a very, very good job with that. And he's going to start off the year with a couple of very tough matchups for a lefty. So uh, I would call the start an, an encouraging one. For, uh, for Rodriguez. And uh, just looking at the box score here, you know, pretty good job against uh, two lefty killers and David Fries and Jordy Mercer. So, well, on that note, Greg, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this Thursday. We will be back uh, tomorrow and we'll be here with Matt Modica. And coming up next uh, is uh, the Pat Mayo Hour. So please stick around for that. We hope you'll also come back and join us tomorrow. Have a great, great Thursday, everybody. Good luck with your leagues, and see you again real soon.